0: called Reckless, which is about giving ourselves away, about giving ourselves away without concern for the consequences, giving ourselves away in the same way as God himself has given himself away to us. This week, we're talking about recklessly giving ourselves away financially, and you think, oh, I'm so glad I came. Actually, the story of your money is the story of your life, and so hopefully this will challenge us to look at our priorities and perspectives uh, and my title this morning is called Look at Your Hands. And it's interesting, uh, just watching Jonah kind of wandering around here is obviously like his dad, desperate to get on the stage. Actually, it's not true, Andy, is it? You're really reluctant to get on the stage. Anyway, um, but, uh, but the thing about little kids is that they're, when they're born, uh, they, they've got that little cling response. I don't know if there's a picture there. They've got that little way, you give them your finger and they'll hold onto it, won't they? And it's almost like they're, you know, we're, we're born grabbing older stuff. And, and it's not a bad thing uh, to have your, a little kiddie hold your, their finger. And, and actually, it's not even a bad thing for, for kids to say, mine. I think that one of my kids, I'm not quite sure, was it Damaris? No, was, was it you, Jotham? <laughs> Poor Jotham. That, you know, they get what are the first words they speak. And Jotham's first words, mine. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I thought, well, you know, it's a bit strange. But actually, uh, it, it's, it's actually quite good because it establishes that healthy sense of what is What's what's yours and what's not yours? And actually that's a good thing because taking responsibility, particularly for blokes, is not what we're good at. So it's good to say this is mine because I need to take responsibility and care for it. So it's not that mine is a negative word if it's in contrast to to yours. Uh, But what tends to happen in in our lives is that clutching becomes more than just a kind of sense of self-identity, becomes uh, uh, more than a healthy sense of responsibility, but it becomes this lack of contentment. It's this grasping uh, sense of, I need stuff to fill the little hole in me. I need, the, I need stuff to fill, uh, uh, fill the emptiness in me. And you become covetousness or, or, or a bit of a thief or whatever, and this kind of sense of grasping hold. And if you go through your lives... You know, you start school and you want to grab hold of GCSEs, certificates and A-levels, and then you go to university. If you get to university and you want to get, come out holding a qualification, if you're lucky, you want to get yourself the hand of a partner who's uh, somebody who's she's going to look good on you or you're going to look good on her arm or whatever it is. And then you're on the first rung of the career ladder and you're grasping and grasping and grasping, climbing and climbing. And then it's the keys of a new car or it's the... Um, keys of a new house, and on you go, it's the latest iPhone, we've got to have this one, sorry, it's already obsolete, you know, I've got to have the next one, Uh, and there's grasping like that, and then, you know, when you get to my age, you're grasping hold of golf clubs, poorly, throwing them down in anger, uh, or gardening tools, uh, and then it's walking sticks, uh, and then it's walking frames, and then, you know, finally, that we're holding on to hospital beds, It is. That's where you go. And, you're, and then at the end of life, you finally let go. And, and, and you think, well, you know, surely there's got to be a time in this where God's open hands have got to come and open our hands. That God's open heart has got to come and unwrap our fingers from the stuff so that we can start to live a life that's given away. And I want to uh, go to a a really familiar Sunday school uh, story this morning. Uh, It's a story of Zacchaeus. Uh, So it'll appear up there, but it's actually in Luke chapter 19, if you want to uh, follow in your Bible. (coughs) It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Not staying the night, passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up, so we've got to break in the narrative, presumably at dinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look here, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of everything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let me just pray. Father, we just thank you for this story of how you encounter a tight-fisted man. You encounter a rich man whose life's spent getting more and more, and how your grace loosens his grip. And pray, Lord Jesus, that you would place us again in this story and that we would find ourselves, our hands loosened on our our purses and wallets, bank balances, our possessions, because it's you who we want. Amen. Uh, We're not going to sing only, uh, what's this song, little Zacchaeus song? How's it go? Zacchaeus was a very little man. We're not going to sing that one. Okay, so that's just as well, isn't it? Zacchaeus is a a chief tax collector. Uh, He'd become wealthy, probably uh, in in the typical ways that you become wealthy. One is by exploiting the knowledge he had of the tax system. And the other one, uh, obviously Zacchaeus' name would be in the Panama Papers, if you look deeply enough through the documents, uh, and exploiting the knowledge of the tax system and using the Roman power over his own people to gather taxes from the Roman occupiers. And then what the the system worked, they, they would basically... The Romans would not collect the taxes themselves, they would appoint somebody who knew the kind of setup, knew the economic setup, uh, who was from the, the occupied people, and they would say, collect as much tax as you want, uh, and we just want this much. So you could, uh, basically, uh, it was very easy because the local people didn't know the local taxes and didn't know the rules, it was very easy to uh, become very, very rich. Uh, but what happened in Jewish eyes, he was a collaborator. Uh, he was a collaborator with a pagan empire which made him unclean and unholy. Now, you might not think that you're at all like Zacchaeus. You might think, well, Zacchaeus is a, a greedy, a grasping uh, collaborator uh, with an evil regime, and no, I'm not like that at all. But actually, it's shocking that we actually are very wealthy in this room. And I know you probably look around and say, no, Really? Really? Who, who are the wealthy people in this room? But actually, the fact is that if you're, if you're the average earner, or even less than the average earner in, in this room, in this country, you're in the top 1% or 2% of people in the whole world for wealth. So you, if you earn more than the average wage, you're in the top 1%. I think I put my salary in, and I worked out that I'm in the 0.7% of wealthiest people in the world. And how have I got wealthy? Well, I'd like to say it's, you know, it's my intelligence and my hard work and all that. But no, it's a a product of of where I've been born. It's a product of being born in the country that invented industrialization. But it's also a product of being born in the country that invented uh, uh, slavery. It's a product of being born in the country that invented uh, uh, exploitation of poor nations. It's probably been born in a country that's used its military power to get what it wanted. So one of the things that when you walk around uh, Cheltenham or Bristol, all these lovely region villas, they weren't built because of just hard work. And I'm not making a political point here. It's a fact that 20% of our wealth in this nation at the time of these, when Cheltenham was being built came from the African-American slave trade. The other 20% came from the uh, taking of the wealth of the Indian and Chinese subcontinents. We're rich. Those same countries are making our clothes and our electronics and producing much of our food and living on $2 a day. We're conscious or unconscious collaborators with a system that's made us rich. We've been discipled by the world to close our hand and say, no, I'm not rich. I need a little more. I need a little more. Ronald J. stider who's uh, wrote this book, it's some years old now, but a book called Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger... So you would be the rich Christians if you are a Christian. If you're here this morning, you are a rich Christian. He says, what an ironic tragedy that an affluent Christian minority in the world continues to hoard its wealth while hundreds of millions of people hover on the edge of absolute poverty. People sin by participating in evil, evil systems which they understand at least to some degree and that that system displeases God but fail to act responsibly to change things. You might say, well, clearly he's obviously left of centre, he's obviously got some dangerous communist leanings here uh, and you might reject it on that point. But the fact is that, we're, that the, the, the world economic system, whatever you think about it, is broken. It does not serve the world it serves some people in the world. The fact that, that we've got a, 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 an economic union uh, that means that everybody wants to come here. we we'll have a debate about it. Should we vote? Yes? No? In? Out? Should we draw our borders tighter or not? The reason why everyone wants to come here is not just because the sun shines. <laughs> it's because we're rich. And we, like Zacchaeus, have become rich as others have often become poor. Friend from South Africa is coming over. It's often most stark there: the townships and the poverty, and the villas and the swimming pools, and where they're allocated by skin colour. That's not just a matter of random economics. That's a broken world, and we're part of that. And we're like Zacchaeus, are wealthier than we think. So let's pick up Zacchaeus and let's take him on the journey with us. Uh, Luke 19 probably happens about the week before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus is journeying down the Jordan Valley, uh, probably from Galilee, up uh, from down the Jordan Valley, stopping at town by town, preaching as he goes, and he's uh, he's about to come to Jericho and turn right and go into Jerusalem. By the the following week, he'll have been crucified. Jesus has been teaching, I think, uh, along the journey, uh, and although we haven't time to go to it to yourselves, but if you look uh, back through Luke's gospel, he's, te- he's telling stories. A lot of those stories, interestingly, about money. A lot of those stories are interestingly about money. And I think what would have happened is that as Jesus would have walked along through the day, that crowds would have followed him, and then he probably would have been invited to somebody's house, and he would have accepted Middle Eastern hospitality, because that's what they did. He'd accept Middle Eastern hospitality. But often the other crowds would maybe just gather around a campfire, and and I suspect they'd talked about what happened. What happened during the day. And these stories may have kind of gone on to the next town or the next village where he was going. That's the kind of idea that I've got here because I don't think that we can tend to think that these things happened in isolation. I know there wasn't the 6 o'clock news. You could switch on what's Jesus been doing today. But there certainly was this kind of movement of people, this oral uh, discussions of what's going on. And I think that what happens is Zacchaeus becomes intrigued by this man Jesus. Maybe his attention was first caught by Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 of a lost son. Uh, We call it the prodigal son, but it's actually a story of the lost son. Does anyone know how that story starts? You can answer at this point. A young man goes to his father and says, give me my money now. And obviously he takes the money, goes off to a far off country, finds himself with eating, when when a famine comes, he finds himself out of money eating with the pigs. I think Zacchaeus would have processed this story. Thought, well, maybe that's me. Maybe what I've done, I've gone to my own people and grasped the money. And now I find myself isolated and lonely. Metaphorically as eating with the Romans, metaphorically eating with the unclean pigs. Maybe that's an interesting story. Maybe he says to his servant who's telling him the story, well, what happens? He says, well, the son says... Uh, what a fool I've been! I'll arise and go back to my father, and the father comes running out to him, wraps his arms around him, and puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe on him, has a big feast. says, come into the feast, eat with me. And suddenly, what's happened is that, that Zacchaeus is in that story. Maybe that could be me. Maybe I'm in a—you know—I am a collaborator. Maybe I know what I'm like in my far-off country. Maybe, maybe the sense—if I made my way back to the Father, made my way back to God, or Abraham, I don't know what he's thinking in that sense, made my way back to God's people, that this embrace would have been mine. Maybe there's a a feast for me. Next day, perhaps, the story comes, I could have done more, but maybe the next day the story comes and he he sends his servant to say, look, come tell me what Jesus has been saying. And the servant comes in, exhausted, and he says, well, I want to tell you a story about a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. I think at this point, Zacchaeus probably thinks, oh no, I don't really want to know how this story goes. What's going to happen is the Pharisee is going to, do really, going to look really spiritual and religious, and Jesus is going to say, well done, and the tax collector is going to be abused and mocked and told uh, what, a, what a grasping, uh, corrupt person he is. And so he so, no, 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 you really need to hear this story. The story goes like this, it says, the Pharisee was standing by himself, by himself pray to God, I thank you that I'm not like other men exhorters, unjust, unfaithful, like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tithe or a tenth of all that I get to the church. But the tax collector standing afar off would not lift his eyes to heaven and beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Wow. Jesus is thinking, I mean Zacchaeus is thinking, this is, this is not the narrative of religious people and tax collectors. Here's a tax collector that's repentant and he goes home as if he's never sinned. He says to the servant, anything else happened that day? The servant says, no, you don't really want to know. He says, you don't really want to know what's happened that day? He says, well, no, come on, come on. Because you know, he's thinking this is going well. There's hope for me here. So so let me tell you a story. He says, a rich young man came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the teacher said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's called good except God alone. You know the commandments. (coughs) He says, All these things, obviously, a discussion about the commandments. He says, All these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said, You, one thing you still lack. The rich man's obviously thinking, Lack? I don't do lack. What do you mean, one thing I lack? Uh, Tell sell all that you have and give it away to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, the rich man became very sad for he's extremely rich. Jesus said, seeing him become sad and said, how difficult is those of wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, how can, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. I think I can imagine Zacchaeus sleeping, processing. A lost son, greedy lost son, found by his father. A repentant tax collector coming home justified. A rich man who wouldn't let go of his possessions, losing eternal life. And I think he's I can almost imagine him kind of laying in his bed and thinking, hmm, where do I stand in this journey? But Jesus is going to be in Jericho the next day, so he's going to go and find out. Jesus arrives at uh, Jericho, and Zacchaeus steps out into the crowd. Now, we might think that's not a big deal, to step out into the crowd. But actually, if you're a collaborator, uh, if you've uh, uh, joined the uh, forces, as it were, of the enemy, it's a dangerous thing to step outside the crowd, into the crowd. Because what might happen is, in the crowd, there might be a... A sudden uh, flash of a blade, there might be a, 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 a whip of a knife, there might be a cry, there might be a body, nobody knows. Zacchaeus didn't go outside. He, he didn't venture out into the crowd. That was not where he was safe. He was safe in his house with his servants and his money. He didn't venture out into the crowd, but yet he wanted to go see Jesus now, it's interesting that Zacchaeus is small. That's the only thing we tend to remember from the Sunday school story, that Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man was he. We don't seem to remember uh, anything else about him, but I thought about this and uh, read a bit, uh, some stuff around, and I, I thought it was interesting that um, it's a book, Jesus with Middle Eastern Eyes, which you've probably heard me quote loads of times. Ken Bailey, great book. He talks about that in a Middle Eastern culture... <laughs> a, a, a man of influence or wealth would have been ushered to the front of the crowd. Regardless of their size, they would have been ushered to the front of the crowd. It wasn't like our crowds, it's going to, you know, first one there gets to get to the front. In, their, in an honour and shame culture, it was those, those that were honoured were brought to the front. So if, if Zacchaeus... Uh, uh, was wealthy and respected, he would have been invited to the front. Please come through. Zacchaeus, I know you're rather small. I would say that because I respect you. Come to the front and, and, you know, here's Jesus. Come to the front. But actually, because they hated Zacchaeus, they kept him at the back. It wasn't just his size that kept him at the back. It was the size of his greed that kept him from seeing Jesus. I thought, well, that was quite good when I thought of that. It's the size of his greed that keeps him from seeing Jesus, and it's still the same. It's not the size or his stature that stops him seeing Jesus, it's the size of your greed, for many of us, that stops us seeing Jesus. But, G- but Zacchaeus and, can, as it were, if you, he's following the crowd noise, as it were, as the crowd moves on and Jesus moves on. The first one person that Jesus comes to uh, is a guy called Bartimaeus, a blind guy. Luke doesn't tell us it's Bartimaeus, but we can guess it's Bartimaeus from what is uh, said in other Gospels. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I think Zacchaeus is feeling that. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd shouts, shut up. Son of filth, that's what Bartimaeus means. And then as a, a brilliant touch, Jesus gets the ones who are, are mocking Bartimaeus and say, Going to you bring the unclean Bartimaeus to me. <laughs> and then suddenly they're having to be the kind of ones who, the servants who bring this man into the presence of the king. And I, I think Zacchaeus must have thought, no, oh, nice touch. And Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do? And the beggar, no money, poor, says, I want to see. Jesus prays for Bartimaeus and the, you can hear, Zacchaeus can hear the gasp as the man's eyes are opened. And I think that something hits him inside and he thinks, here's the man with nothing, here's this poor beggar and he gets to see Jesus but here I am with all my wealth and I cannot What happens is, after Jesus has done the big show stopping miracle, everybody wants to invite him round for dinner. He can hear the voices of wealthy people that he recognizes from Jericho saying, Jesus, please come, come to my house, accept my hospitality. It's a bit like when you go to these, uh, if you go on holiday to the Mediterranean and they, you go along these uh, they, the cafes, the restaurants, and they all say, Oh, please come in our house. Oh, yes, you must come in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's happening to Jesus. He's, he's moving along and they're saying, yeah, please accept my hospitality. Rabbi, please feast at my house tonight. I'd be honest to host you tonight. And here's all these wealthy people. And, and, and Zacchaeus is saying, well, I'm, I'm sure Jesus is going to go to one of those. But Jesus says, no, he's not rude. He just says, I'm not staying. I'm passing through. I'm not staying in Jericho tonight. I'm, I'm on a journey somewhere else. I'm not going to stop. <coughs> So Zacchaeus then thinks, oh right, if he's heading out of town, I know which way he's going. And he heads out of town, and they're on the edge of Middle Eastern towns. They never put trees in the middle of the town. Uh, They put trees on the edge of town. And so Jesus heads out of town, and he climbs a sycamore tree. We're never told why it's a sycamore tree, but I think if you know sycamore trees, they have these big leaves, nice big branches. Climbs up into a sycamore tree. And, um, you know, he's not bothered about custom. He says he runs ahead. Middle Eastern man didn't used to run, so, let alone climb trees. But he runs. Maybe he's thought, it's okay. The father in the story runs. I'm going to run. He runs and climbs a tree. And it's, yes, he wants to get above the crowd so he can see Jesus, but he's also got another objective. He doesn't want to be seen himself. The leaves want to cover his shame. Right at the beginning of the Bible, there's, that's going on. Adam and Eve have sinned, and they're aware of their shame. and They get little leaves to cover up their shame. Zacchaeus is doing what humanity has been doing ever since. It's, Let's hide our shame. I don't want, I don't want Jesus to see me. I'd like to see him, but I don't want him to see me. I don't want him to look into my heart and see what I'm like. So he hides away. But what happens is is, is, his plans doesn't work. Because I think that that it's not Jesus that sees him first, I think the crowd see him first. You could say, a question, how does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? You could say, he's the divine son of God and knows everything. That's how he knows his name. I suspect that they actually... Is by the time Jesus reaches the tree where Zacchaeus is, a number of other people have reached the tree and are giving Zacchaeus some abuse. They're calling his name out Zacchaeus, whatever. I think they're saying, imagine that Zacchaeus is, is in the tree and they're saying, Zacchaeus, come down and we'll give you what we owe you. Not the financial, but a good kicking. Zacchaeus, please, please, really, let we honour you. Please, please, come down, and we'll, we'll give you what you're worth. We'll give you what you deserve. Zacchaeus is grasping hold of the tree, and no, I'm not coming down, and not for you. They're crying, look, here's, <coughs> here's Zacchaeus, the weasel, caught up a tree. Come down, let's give him what he's really owed. And there's a commotion going on. Jesus walks by and stops sees the, ang- hears the angry commotion, here's what the crowd shouting, and he and Zacchaeus holding on to the tree for dear life. And Jesus decides to intervene. Now obviously the crowd would expect um, Zacchaeus to be in Jesus' crosshairs for a serious telling off. If he's just been full of grace for a poor beggar, the rich man's definitely going to get a bad time. This is the banker. I don't know who are the baddies these days. Used to be estate agents, didn't it? Now it's bankers. He's, he's the kind of, yes, you know, you corrupt, blah, blah, whatever. Surely Jesus is going to give this guy a hard time. And, um, and so when Jesus stops at the sport and looks up, says, Zacchaeus, come down. They're thinking, yes, that's what we're Come on, come on, come on down then. See? And he's, I think they would have expected Jesus to say something like this. Zacchaeus, you're a collaborator. You've become rich by making your countrymen poor and giving their wealth to the Romans. Uh, You've loved your money and your comfort more than the true God. This community's hatred of you is very justified. Quit your job. Go to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice and become clean, ceremonially clean, and then keep God's law, and maybe when I return back here another time, I may come to your house. And such a response would have brought loud cheers from the crowd. Yes, absolutely. But he says... Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to come to your house today. I think people are shocked. What? He's going to go to his house. He's going to go to the greedy, grasping, corrupt man's house. He turned down all our hospitality, but he's going to go to his house. And what happens is, where the crowd's hospitality was on Zacchaeus, Suddenly now the crowds, I would do Ben for Jesus. Suddenly the crowds uh, hostilities on Jesus. What are you doing? Don't you know what this guy's like? You go to his house? They hated this guy and Jesus sides with the collaborator. He puts himself in the place of Zacchaeus and sides with the collaborator and, and the people mutter, Jesus is going to be the guest of a sinner. Now, interestingly, if you went, it was a few days before Passover, if you went to a, a sinner's house, and they invited you for dinner, you went to a sinner's house, you'd have become unclean, defiled by their food, their touch, being in their very house, you'd become defiled. He's got to be the guest of a sinner. He's going to become unclean and filthy. But actually, what they don't realize is that, that Zacchaeus is going to be Jesus' guest. It's not that Jesus is going to be Zacchaeus's guest. Jesus invites Zacchaeus. That's not what you did in Middle Eastern culture. The, the host invites the guest, not the other way around. The guest never invited themselves. I think over dinner then, Zacchaeus is processing. Yes, I am the greedy, grasping younger brother of Jesus' story. He shamed his nation and robbed his brothers and squandered their money. Yet this costly man has invited me to the feast. Maybe he 's thinking, yes, I've been unjust and unfaithful and exhorted and given nothing to god 's house, not even a close of tenth of my income. But yet God, is he be merciful on me, a sinner? Is he being merciful me a sinner? <laughs> and all I can hear is Zacchaeus thinking over the table, how difficult it is for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Sell all you have and give it away to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. But this is impossible with men, but it's possible with God. I think Zacchaeus finally is there. He arrives at the truth about money. Randy Alcorn, uh, Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, says this. Our use of money tells a story. In a sense, how we relate to money and possessions is the story of our lives. Money is the test of our true character, an index of our spiritual life. Now, you wouldn't have chosen that. You'd say, well, I think I could find some other things that are the indicator of, that tell the true story of my life. I, church, I, go, I attend church, I go to small group, I read my Bible, I do all those things. We wouldn't tend to put money at the test of our spiritual character. We wouldn't tend to say what we do with our money says what is our attitude to what we do with Jesus. We wouldn't say that. But I think Randy Alcorn is right on it. And this story shows us that he's right on it. So the question I ask myself, the question I ask you is, what does your bank statement say about what you really value? You might say, well, I'm a student, I've got nothing in my bank, I value nothing. <laughs> but what you spend your money on is an indicator, it's a litmus test of your spiritual heart. So if I look at my bank statement, what do I love most? My house. I love my house most. That's what the money story says about my house. What do I love next? Well, the food and entertainment and having a car. I love that next. Where's Jesus coming in this list? Is he third? Is he fourth? To love my golf subscription more than I love Jesus. What do I love more? Where is he coming in this list? In Zacchaeus' list, he's not even on it. In the rich young ruler's list, God's not even on it. All these things I've kept, I've kept these commands, well, you one thing you lack, your mind, what your money says about what you really value, what your money says about where you're, Treasure is where your heart is. What your money says about who you truly serve, God or money, what your money says about that, says that you're not even close. Zacchaeus looks around at all his wealth and his comfort and the excess of his house and he knows it tells the most tragic story about himself, that his grasping hands have left him with an empty heart. It does something really remarkable and I was going to get you to do it but I'm a chicken <laughs> I'm a chicken because I know that money <clears throat> is a stronghold in our culture and whenever you preach about money and I hate preaching about money you automatically a little voice is automatically saying the church bank account must be low or there must be some issue and I know that about churches they're just after your money aren't they you know they're hypocrites after your money, and immediately your um, your hand starts to close around your wallet, and you think, "I am not letting this man get my hands loose. No, I am not letting that happen." And what I was going to do was that what Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus stands up and makes a declaration about his money. And I was going to, I'm not going to do it, but I want you to do it in your heart. I was going to get you to stand up, not make a declaration about your money, but I was going to get you to stand up, maybe when we break bread at the end, to stand up and make a declaration in your head about your money. Because he doesn't just think, okay, let's find a nice solution. I'll give a £10 standing order to Christians Against Poverty. Maybe that will work. Or maybe, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll increase my money to the church a little bit. Maybe that'll work. But tithe, well, we don't bother with tithe. That's legalist. That's Old Testament. So I'm definitely giving less. And we try, and he, but he doesn't do that. He stands up and makes this bold, outrageous statement. Here and now. I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.